Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Hour two of mornings with Carmen on this is St. Patrick's Day, and so I want to um, I want to give you a few international headlines that are probably not going to make you know big headline news here in the United States. You know we are we are rightly talking about and concerned about uh, a, a mass shooting in Georgia, um, which has killed eight individuals. But I think we tend to then lose sight of what is happening um, in places around the world where, frankly, eight deaths wouldn't make the news. And so I do want to um, highlight and ask for your prayers for the people of Niger. A gunman, uh, actually several gunmen, attacked civilians during uh, market day uh, in Niger near the Mali border. Fifty-eight people have uh, died as a result, and the uh, and the granaries for the entire community were burned to the ground. And so um, famine is likely to follow. Um, so let's be mindful of prayers for people who are living in places and spaces that are um, really wretchedly unsafe today. I uh, want to lift up a ruling from a Japanese court. A Japanese court has ruled that not allowing same-sex marriage is unconstitutional, which is a major victory for um, LGBTQ activists there in the nation of Japan. And uh, the United Kingdom's Prince Philip, who is 99 years old, is back home after receiving treatment for an infection and undergoing a heart procedure, which is really just pretty extraordinary um, when you think about what is possible and what the human body uh, can endure and from from what we can heal. It's a good day to talk about uh, God who is the great physician and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and things like that. All right. And then I have this headline uh, that I wanted to bring you um, from the Israeli Antiquity Authority, because, you know, those are people we ought to be paying attention to. The Israeli Antiquity Authority on Tuesday has announced the discovery of nearly 80 first century parchment fragments. They contain Greek text. Uh, it has been identified uh, as texts from the minor prophets Zechariah and Nahum. These are the first new scroll discoveries uh, in 60 years. Archaeologists believe that the pieces came from a scroll that was placed in a cave during the Jewish Bar Kokhba revolt against Rome in about 132 A.D. Researchers also discovered a 6,000-year-old mummified skeleton, looks to be the skeleton of a child, could be the oldest known intact woven basket in the world. You say to yourself, why is Carmen all exercised and excited about an archaeological find? Um, Because every single time there's literally a shred of evidence that the Bible is true, um, that it's verifiable, that people were not only copying it down— but keeping it safe is worthy of our time and attention. Um, there are more 
extant, right? There are more copies of the Bible um, than there are copies of lots of other things that people believe and say, you know, yeah, that happened, that's true, and yet they don't believe the Bible. And there's more copies of the Bible than there are of all those other books. So it's exciting when it happens. We ought to point to it. We ought to celebrate it when it happens. Um, and uh, and we ought to celebrate that, you know, God is still revealing revealing to us um, evidence of people of faith, not only from hundreds of years ago, but thousands of years ago. Drone technology actually is a part of the story here. So they're going to find more and more stuff is my bet. All right. John Brandon is up next. He's a Forbes columnist. He's also the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. He joins me. Uh, we're going to talk about deep fakes. Let me see. How much can you fake? That's going to be the question. Up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now, John Brandon, he is a Forbes columnist. He's also the digital media director for Northwestern Media. You can find him at Forbes.com and, you know, everywhere else. John, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Deep fakes. First of all, tell people what deep fakes are and then uh, tell them why we're talking about deep fakes today. I think this actually started with uh, there's a deep fake of President Obama. Uh, So what they do is they use AI technology. Usually it's just an app and some algorithms. And they're able to kind of take someone from the real world and turn them into what looks like an avatar or robot, except that it's ultra realistic. And then they can have them say anything that they want. So imagine a world leader getting on uh, to some sort of YouTube channel and saying that we're declaring war against Russia or something like that. Then then you're kind of understanding what a deep fake is all about. And they're they're really believable. I mean, the reason we call them deep fakes is because you would watch it and you would say to yourself, that is clearly the person who I think it is. They are clearly in the place where it looks like they are, and they are clearly saying or doing what it looks like they are saying or doing, and none of those things could be true. Yeah, yeah. there's this concept called the uncanny valley, which is a really interesting one. It means that we can perceive when something is kind of fake. And then it kind of ruins the whole experience. So imagine a digital character in a movie from a few years ago, and we're like, that's not really a human. But the latest one that came out is so convincing. It's a, it's a, deep, it's a deep fake of Tom Cruise playing golf. And then he's doing a couple other things. He trips and falls in the lobby of a hotel. I watched it a few times, and I, I can't tell the difference between a, the real Tom Cruise in a movie and the deep fake. And it's 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 utterly amazing to watch this because it's not the real person, but it looks like the real person. So, um, you know, for those of us uh, of whom there there's a lot of audio, let's say it would not be hard for somebody who wanted to to basically construct audio of me saying literally anything because. I have used millions of words over thousands of hours of recorded audio. So, you know, for people who whose image is out there, people like Tom Cruise, this is easier to construct. It would be harder to do. It would be harder to create a deep fake of a person who does not have a lot of video out there 
that could be called. Is is that correct, or is this really like yeah. AI figuring it out and develop? I mean, developing video from nothing. Yeah. So I don't know if you want me to do a deep dive on deep fakes, but uh, the the reality <laughs> is that uh, Tom. So there was a Tom Cruise impersonator who sounds just like him and looks just like him and knows how to act just like him. And so he was filmed doing these things, and then the AI took over and kind of mapped in Tom Cruise's real face. If you watch it really closely, you can see that there's something wrong with the eyes. They, they kind of glitch a little bit. The other thing is that this guy who created it, he's kind of come out and said that it took him months to create it and a lot of effort, and he's not really that worried about deep fakes. And I get that, but some of the deep fakes, fakes are actually just programmed, you know, through an AI routine, and they are they use an app, and it doesn't take that long. So that's the concern sometimes with these things. Is this one was really elaborate and it's so convincing, but other people might make one that's not as convincing, but maybe more dangerous too. So that that's really the the concern. Okay, so let's talk about that because okay. Are you concerned about deep fakes? And if so, where, when you talk about something being more dangerous, what are we talking about? What's the fear? Where's the edge? Yeah. And you know, I'm a, I'm a technologist. I, I see technology as a tool. I see the positive side of this and I can get into that in a minute. But as far as the dangers, it's just somebody, you know, some hacker doing a video of a, of a corporate president of some kind and he's maybe instructing employees to do something and and it's on youtube and and who knows who's going to watch that um you know they're maybe saying there's a bomb in the building or something like Mm. that and and it just it's one of those things where you know elon musk we've talked about him a few times before but he sees the danger of ai technology because it can get into the wrong hands and it's not very regulated, and it's also pretty easy to do some of these things. You know, you can download a few apps, a few AI routines, and pretty soon you've created a deepfake. Uh, the other side of this is it's often, deepfakes are often used for illicit purposes. And I don't want to get into that, but it's often something that is not very good. It's not very uh, productive for society. It's, it's, a, it's a danger because of the illicit things that people can use these to do. The word licit and the word illicit are good words for the day. Licit, not forbidden. It is lawful. Illicit, it is forbidden. It's unlawful. I think it is sometimes, right? It's just good for us to um, be sure that people know when we're using words. I read the word licit on Monday, and it was one of the first times I've seen it it appear. We, we use the word illicit a lot, so there you go. Just thought yeah. I'd highlight that. John Brandon and I are going to take a very brief break. When we're going to come, when we come back, we're going to talk about some books, books that are going to make you think twice about your assumptions. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. So shall my walk be close with God, with all my hopes made new. Continuing my conversation with John Brandon, um, I'm going to direct you to a piece he has posted at Forbes.com. These books will make you think twice about your assumptions. John, um, let's talk about reading and um, maybe maybe if we took the time to not just listen in echo chambers to people and uh, organizations and writers who confirm the assumptions we already have and the biases we already operate out of. But if we were to read people who operate out of 
worldview is very different from our own. I mean, this is the reason that I read an ethicist from Princeton who I find absolutely as far from ethical as possible, Peter Singer. But I read him to test my assumptions, to test my critical thinking, to test my worldview. Um, And if I can't answer Peter Singer, I got to go figure out I got to go figure out how. Mm -hmm. Um, So so talk with us about um, how how you've approached this in terms of a reading list. Yeah, I get a lot of books in the mail, and I, I think it's because I've been doing this for so long. I was uh, 10 years at Inc.com, and then I'm currently at Forbes.com as a columnist. And people find me on social media, they know how to look up my address, and they send me books in the mail, which is kind of cool, but can be a little overwhelming at times. Uh, the way I approach it, uh, so I usually grab a book, and if I'm if I get through the first few pages and I find an insight that I don't know, and that I haven't ever heard before, then they they kind of have me hooked. And so this current article that I've posted is the books from that uh, latest batch that I've received that really jumped out. And uh, I, I love that you're you're bringing this up, Carmen, because you're talking about the theme of the article itself is about how to challenge some assumptions and kind of think about things in a new light. Now, the one caveat with uh, with any kind of like let's rethink this concept is that I happen to be uh, a Christian. I've been a Christian for about 35 years. I don't challenge the assumptions of the Bible because of the fact that it's been such a life-changing thing for me. And and so for me, there's there there's uh, it's healthy to challenge assumptions at times, except for we should cling to the hope of Christ and we should cling to the truth of Scripture. So I always bring that into everything I'm reading. Um, and sometimes if we don't have that foundation and we're kind of like, oh, any, I'm going to rethink you know, what I have for breakfast and I'm going to rethink my car and my marriage and I'm going to rethink having kids, there's things that you should not rethink. And one of them is faith. Faith is not something to rethink. Faith is something to cling desperately to because God has changed your life and then it's uh, made a difference with your your own your own life and your family and your spouse. So that's the big caveat to say, but... These books are challenging, and I think that's healthy in the sense of kind of exposing yourself to some other ideas and what other people are thinking about. So as I scanned, um, as I scanned the books on the list, um, I think that one of the ones that people would find the most challenging um, is number seven. Uh, I mean, when was the last time you really thought about ownership rights? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm betting that most Americans— do have never really thought through the theology and the um, and the social reality of ownership rights. Like that's an interesting. We make assumptions about you know this is mine and that is yours and I might share it with you, but you definitely need to return it in a timely way and you need to ask if you're going to borrow it and if you're going to keep it for any period of time, or park there for any length of time, then you ought to compensate me for you know, having your stuff in my space or my stuff in your space. Like I, we, we have, I had this conversation like a generation ago when churches were talking about wanting to align with different denominations. And what was really at issue was the ownership of the property. Mm-hmm. And people were so captive to the ownership of the property that they would rather stay attached to an organization that they no longer believed was was gospel centered 
than to leave a piece of property or concede that the ownership of the property belonged to the denomination and they would carry on um, simply as stewards, you know, uh, resident aliens, you know, using it. So I'm just saying this this was an interesting one for me. Yeah, that that book and it, it's the name of the book. Mine is like what kids say when they grab a toy. It, it's an utterly fascinating book. I highly recommend it. I just interviewed the authors on Monday over Zoom, and and they are just two of the smartest guys. Uh, they're both professors. So um, the the book is uh, fascinating because it it is challenging those assumptions that you know if maybe if you live in a place for a certain period of time, then you automatically own the land or if a drone flies over your house, and this is this is a story from the book. I know you just mentioned drones earlier, um, that you have the right to bring out your shotgun and shoot it down. And it turns out that you probably don't have the right to do that. And they have this phrase that it wasn't meant in a spiritual sense at all in the book, but they said something about, uh, you know, you think you own up to heaven and down to hell. And uh, you don't. You don't even own the water under your own property. You know, it's basically owned by the city. And if you started pumping out water all day long and all your neighbors didn't have access to water, then you'd be actually committing a crime most likely. So all the chapters in the book kind of reference these assumptions that are not actually true. You don't own the rain on your roof. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually illegal in Colorado to collect the rain that falls on your roof. Wow. I'm just saying, like, you don't own the rain on your roof. Um, so we live on a river. I mean, and so our property fronts a river. And technically, you own to the middle of the river. And the people mm-hmm. on the other side own to the middle of the river, which is curious, right? That's very curious to me. You own the yeah. land. You don't own the water. Right. Um, and so we have a, this thing called a gravel bar where the, you know, the the pebbles pile up. And so people who are kayaking down the river stop often on our little gravel bar. Mm-hmm. And that's totally fine, and we're happy for that, but we don't want them to trash it up, right. Like, right? And so that's, I think, part of the challenge. Those of us who live in a space or a place, we ended up being responsible for all the trash that gets left behind or all of the destructive behavior of people who don't have a sense of ownership, and it doesn't occur to them maybe that someone actually owns this and that they shouldn't just trash it up. Like, yeah. So there you go. I think that it's a sensitive topic, and it's an interesting one, and I appreciated that it made your list. I, I think that um, Cumulative Advantage is one of the books on the list that uh, totally intrigued me, as did Chatter. Anyway, yep, I, yep. It's just, yeah, we could talk forever about this. So maybe we... <laughs> Maybe we could circle back around sure. to this topic. Favorite um, books of the year, yeah. Would, would yeah, be cool. did you read Breathe by any chance? Yeah, I did, did read did that. that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did it change the way that you breathe? I, I, you... So I like anything that has brain science and how the mm-hmm. body works and all that kind of thing. Uh, we, we breathe 20,000 times per day, uh, which is uh, kind of cool to think about, you know. So That is cool to think about. All right. Thank you. Thank you for spending these uh, breaths with us. We genuinely appreciate it. All right. Awesome. That's John Brandon. He's going to uh, he's going to join us every other. What is today? Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. And we're just going to talk about stuff because it's awesome. fun. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks we'll right a lot. Back. Yep. As we move um, through the season of Lent to Easter. We recognize that we are going to move through the passion of the King of Glory. And the passion of the King of Glory is the title of Russ Ramsey's new book. And he joins us next. This is Max Lucado. 
Seems to me God gives a lot more grace than we'd ever imagine. We'd do the same. Now, I'm not for watering down the truth or compromising the gospel, but if a fellow with a pure heart calls God Father, can't I call that man brother? If God doesn't make doctrinal perfection a requirement for family membership, should I? If God can tolerate my mistakes, can I tolerate the mistakes of others? If God can overlook my errors, can't I overlook the errors of others? If God allows me with my foibles and failures to call Him Father, shouldn't I extend that same grace to others? One thing is for sure, when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised at some of the folks we see. And some of them, (laughs) well, they'll be surprised when they see us. This is Max Licato. Joining me now, Russ Ramsey. He's an author, and he's got a whole series of um, of books that we're going to talk about today. But we're going to highlight here um, the book that really does center in on the passion of Jesus. And in the lead up to Easter, we just thought that it would be good to revisit this: the passion of the King of Glory. Russ Ramsey, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good to be with you. So it's so good to be with you. So um, let's let's actually start with a kind of a um, uh, an umbrella conversation. Talk about the retelling the story series, and then talk with us about telling the story because these are narratives, not devotionals, and I want people to get that. That's right. Yeah, they are they are narratives. So it's it's a three book series um, that uh, the first volume is called The Advent of the Lamb of God, and it's an Advent book. Uh, so it's a book, it's got 25 chapters so that you can read one every day in December. Uh, and basically what it focuses on is the need for and the coming of Christ. And so more than half of that book is just kind of walking through the narrative thread that goes from um, the Garden of Eden to the manger in Bethlehem. And so it, it kind of takes you through um, the, the major characters and how their stories from, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David, to the prophets, to Israel as a nation longing for peace and reconciliation. So it, it threads all of that together and then really focuses on uh, the nativity story, you know, the story of the birth of Christ and and John the Baptist and, and all of that. And uh, then the second book is The Passion of the King of Glory, which picks up where that one left off. So the, the, they're written in the same voice, same chapter length. And it really focuses on the the um, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So it's kind of a synthesis of the four Gospels. And with Lent in mind, I made that one 40 chapters so that if people are observing Lent as a liturgical season, they could read a chapter a day. During Lent, and then there's a third volume which is called the Mission of the Body of Christ. So you have the Advent of the Lamb of God, the Passion of the King of Glory, the Mission of the Body of Christ, and that one focuses on all of the narrative kind of post-resurrection. So, so a lot of what you find in the Book of Acts and other little narrative details that you find in the epistles. And the reason I did this project was was so much of Scripture is written in narrative form. It's a story, but it's but it's not all um, in one place, you know. So so you kind of have to 
make some connections and, um, uh, you know, kind of depart from the narrative for a while to read other things, uh, prophetic books and things like that, that, that are less narrative and more proclamation. And uh, so what I wanted to do was create something that would really help people uh, with biblical literacy. I wanted it to be a biblical literacy tool, a servant uh, for Scripture, something that would help people understand the big picture of the Bible by threading it through. So basically from Eden to Rome uh, is is the arc of the story and how Christ is at the heart of everything that's in there. So that was the idea for the series. Yeah, and I I love that. So let's Let's talk about um, this specific or this particular book, um, you know, as people are thinking toward um, Holy Week, they're thinking toward Easter. I hope they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope folks <laughs> are having some kind of discipline during this season where they are in the Word of God every day. Um, talk talk with us a little bit about why why getting this narrative in us, why that matters so much. Well, I, you know, we're, we're people of stories, right? Every mm-hmm. people, that's how we know each other. When we ask each other, when we're getting to know somebody, what you really want to know is, is their story. And God made us this way. It's the primary teaching tool that Jesus used was he taught by way of story, you know, parables. And uh, I think a lot of the reason that, that this is so effective is because the way that God designed people is is that we have a head and a heart and we have imagination and we understand um, that there's meaning in the way stories unfold. And, but stories are also uh, kind of a Trojan horse for truth. You can you can slip a lot of truth past the, uh, the gates of our defenses if you do it in the form of a story, which is a lot of why Jesus told parables is, is he was, he was getting to the heart of things um, but also taking people's defenses down in the process. And so, you know, we, and, and the gospel is a story. It's not a, it's not a uh, made-up story. It's a true story. Um, and it is the story of everyone who follows Jesus. It's, it's our story. Um, and so it's important for us to understand that, that following Christ is more than about understanding doctrinal points, which is important. Uh, it's more than uh, following rules, which is also, which, which has value. But, but really what we're in is we're in a story and it's a love story. Uh, it's the story of how the God of creation, the maker of heaven and earth, uh, pursues his people through the ministry of his son. And so that's that's kind of why I why I really want to harp on that. And I also think it sticks in the imagination for people. Uh, stories are what we remember. One of the things that I, I genuinely appreciate is that you um, you help these characters not seem flat and trapped in a sentence or trapped in a pericope or even a chapter. Certainly not trapped in a verse. Like you help us um, see the person. Um, talk a little bit about uh, about the fact that none of us, you know, like nobody has a simple story and nobody has a story mm-hmm. that really can be summarized in a sentence, let alone a paragraph. And yet most of the people who we meet, I mean, the overwhelming number of people that we meet who encounter Jesus, like we only know them by a glimpse. Talk a little bit about yeah. that. Well, I think you, you, that's a great line. Nobody, nobody has a simple story. Everybody that you meet has has stuff that's going on deep. I think about the season that we're in right now, you know, having lived through a, a full calendar year of, of 
pandemic, with everything that's gone with it, with just keeping our distances from people. We've all had to learn to live differently. And one of the things we've all had to learn to do is is uh, we've all had to, uh, I think, accept or, or at least uh, deal with in some measure is that there's a even more distance between us and, and other people. And it can be a very lonely way to, um, to live and to navigate this world. Uh, and so, you know, part of what scripture is doing for us is it's getting, is it's, it's helping us understand uh, kind of the whole of the human experience so that we can empathize with people, so that we can relate to other people, so that we can, um, y- you know, risk offering more of our own stories to others so that they could know us better and, and more deeply. And I think that's a big part of what it means to follow Christ is we, is, is we follow him as people who we follow him in the context of community, in the context of a local church, um, and in the context of walking with other believers in this life. And he made us this way. You know, he made us this way so that we could be known even just a little uh, in in this life as a way of understanding um, maybe even some of how perfectly and completely he knows us. All right, I'm talking with Russ Ramsey. Uh, among other things, he is the author uh, of a series of books, one of which is The Passion of the King of Glory. You can find them all at ivpress.com. You can find Russ at russ-ramsey, russ-ramsey.com. He and I are going to be right back, and we're going um, we're gonna to talk a little bit more about Russ's story. And I'm going to ask him why he started something called Art Wednesday. There you go. A little insight. He's a little bit more than just an author. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Paul Perot has very dutifully filled all of our music today with uh, the sounds of the Irish. Thanks, Paul. That's <laughs> no nice. No problem. Every time we come back, I'm like, oh, there's something I've never heard before, or not knowingly. All right, Russ Ramsey and I are continuing our conversation. Among other things, he's an author. You can find uh, you can find the books that we've talked about today at ivpress.com. If you look for Russ Ramsey, you can also just go to russramsey.com. So, Russ, one of the things that I have discovered about you is that on your yes. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter feeds, you do something mm-hmm. called Art Wednesday, and this is Wednesday. Yes. So what is Art Wednesday, and what are you featuring on Art Wednesday today? <laughs> I love that you're asking me this question. Uh, so Art Wednesday is something I started um, a, a number of years ago where every Wednesday I will post over the course of the day a series of about nine or ten uh, works of art that are that are based on either an artist or some kind of a theme, um, and I'll what I'll do is I'll name each work and usually offer some comment about each one. And the reason I do it um, is because we 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 need to interact with beauty, uh, and I find that in the social media world in particular, it, beauty can be hard to come by sometimes. Uh, but we we need to interact with beauty because because life both individually and collectively can get dark, and and we need light. And this can be an ugly world, and we need to be reminded of its wonder and beauty and glory. And so, um, so I did that. It's just kind of struck me that that you know we live in an age where we we have access to so much information that uh, I don't know that we're designed to process all of it. I don't know that I'm designed to know uh, to be able to deal with the steady stream of evil and suffering and catastrophe that I can see just scrolling through, uh, you know, a social media feed in, in four minutes. 
Um, I don't, you know, I don't need to know, and I probably shouldn't know about celebrity marriages and affairs and have access to, you know, stories and hot takes about dis disgraced clergy and prospering politicians. There's a lot that that's happening there. Um, and so I created Art Wednesday as a way of just doing something different uh, for myself uh, with social media, just and and holding forth art and trying to do it in a way that would that would encourage and inspire people to maybe consider uh, engaging with art if maybe they felt intimidated by it. Um, because I'm, I'm not an art history major or anything. I just, I just like the stuff, you know? And so, so I started doing it. So today's art Wednesday, uh, it, because it's St. Patrick's day, um, is all about a, um, an art heist that happened in Boston, uh, in 1990 on the St. Patrick's day weekend. Uh, where over $500 million worth of art was stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, and uh, which is the largest single property theft in American history. And uh, so today's Art Wednesday is all about those works that were taken. There were 13 different works that were taken, and I feature about nine of them uh, in there. And so sometimes it's stories like that. Sometimes it's focus on a particular artist or a particular era. But today's is a fun one. Yeah, no, today's is a totally fun one. And when I looked at that piece of art, I wondered about those people in the foreground of the painting. I wondered about the church. I wondered about, like, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. I found myself wondering about things. And those are the stories, I think, that when you talk about telling stories and we talk about being people who are a part of the story um, of what God is doing in the world today through the church, like, that's exciting to me. Um, I haven't read The Body of Christ um book in this in this story series but I intend to now that you have whetted my appetite for it um let's uh, let's let's circle back um briefly to uh the king of glory the passion of the king of glory um one of the things that you talk about is that no father should should have to watch their son die there's a you have a you have a, a heart outreach to um to one of the characters that you lift up um and there's no question that there's then obviously this heartbeat toward the Father, toward the God and Father of us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, Scripture is written in thrift, meaning there's not a lot of uh, uh, rabbit trails or adjectives or adverbs. And part of the art of reading the Bible is is trying to imagine what we're reading um, as human beings. And so, the, you know, there's the story of a centurion who's, uh, who's somebody that he loves. His, his son is, is very sick, and so he's going to Jesus just to ask because he's heard Jesus is a miracle worker. And so he's going to just plead with Jesus to come and to bring healing. And uh, and the, the irony of that story, and I use that as the story to open the whole book, um, even though that happens deeper into the narrative, I use it as a way of kind of jumping off, because isn't that the situation we're all in, is that we all know that the world is is broken and, and hurting, and we, we feel it in our bones, and we suffer grief and loss and the effects of the fall all the time. Uh, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to look to him to restore and to heal and to redeem um, the world that we're a part of and ourselves. And and so that story is a great picture, I think, of somebody who has affluence, wealth, power, and means. But in that scenario, all he is is a dad with a son, uh, and, and he's pleading with with. Jesus, who is in many ways a person he knows only by reputation and is kind of a stranger to him, but he's, but he's 
he's going for it because what else can he do? Where else can he go? Um, and, uh, and I think that that's a great summary of, of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus as we, as we turn to him, not knowing fully who he really is, uh, when we first come to faith and then walking a road where we discover more and more of the reality of that, um, as he ministers to us in our condition as, as fallen people living in a fallen world. It's very compelling to me. It's very compelling. Um, part of your story, because I have uh, read Struck, um, mm. part part of your story is that, and, and I feel like it was like three years ago this week that that book came out, um, you you very nearly died. Um, and mm. so when we talk about our stories, like, right, you're not flat. You're not a devotional writer. You're not even just a narrative writer or a person who's, you know, trying to make sure we're all more biblically literate. You're not just a pastor. You're a guy who has, like, literally looked death in the eye. Um, talk with us about maybe how that still informs your day-to-day living. Um, and may, I, and I don't know, maybe how that uh, has become even louder or more quiet as as time goes by. Yeah, you know, I so I had a, a just very briefly, I had a bacterial infection in my heart and had to have open heart surgery, and it was a, a pretty urgent uh, situation that came out of nowhere. And in the process of doing that, um, I had to put my house in order, you know, in, in the event uh, that that things didn't go well. And I, I think there's there's a there's something that happens when you when you do that, uh, at least for me, when I did that, where um, I, 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 I came to fear death a lot less uh, and to uh, understand that it the, this faith that I that I possess um, has it's not just content, but it also has function, uh, and that is that it comes it becomes useful. Uh, <laughs> it is useful when when we're going through hard things and and we're going through things that are beyond beyond our control and and uh, and so yeah, I think it's it's shaped my life. It's 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 um, I think anybody who uh, who's listening who is who has come face to face with their own mortality. Um, probably holds on to this life a, li- with a little more loosely, um, mm-hmm. just because you, you understand that you th- that this is coming for all of us at some point, um, and so we 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 live the lives that we've been given here, uh, but we also we always do so with at least one eye on the horizon, understanding that that as glorious as it can be to live in this world, we were made for something. Um, even more perfect and even more beautiful, and uh, and for the believer in Christ, it it is our destiny. Amen. Russ Ramsey, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for all the books you've written. Thank you for your testimony and your life of witness, and for helping us to become more biblically literate and and appreciate <laughs> art. I mean, like look what look at all the stuff you got going on today. Thanks, thanks so much. My pleasure, Carmen. Thank you so much for, for this chat. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun. That's that's Russ Ramsey. You can find him at russ-ramsey.com. We'll be right back. Um, several of you have asked uh, uh, to be reminded um, of the book by Tim Keller, Hope in the Times of Trouble. Is that right? Hope in the Times of Trouble? 
I think so. Uh, um, yeah, I'll be like, yeah. So, so we just talked to Tim Keller last week, and I just wanted to lift that up to you. Um, for those of you who were looking for that conversation, it is right in line with uh, what, with what Russ Ramsey was just talking about in terms of the proximity that we all live with to death, and as the you know as we walk the road uh, during Lent to Passion Week and to Easter, right? We're we're walking a road with death in view, and we're all. We're all walking a road uh, with with death in view in terms of the events of Holy Week and the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. But we're all also each walking a path, a road toward death in our own lives and in the lives of those that we love. Like that's that's actually like a part of everyone's story. So don't um, let us not fear it. Let us approach it with hope and confidence. Um, so, Paul, remind me of the title again. Hope you in have the times of fear. Hope in the Times of Fear, the Tim Keller book that we discussed last week, just really, uh, really good if you're looking for something encouraging during this season. It really is a book about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But Tim is facing it um, in, you know, in anticipation of his own uh, death uh, from pancreatic cancer. So, all right, that's all we got time for today. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. Grab the podcast a little bit later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a- Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.